Wasn't that wonderful? That was my youngest grandchild. She will be one years old this coming week, and she is just learning to walk. And the goal of today's message, the big idea is a simple one. God wants us to walk and to enjoy it. On the other end of our family spectrum is my mother-in-law, because a few days after Drew, and her name is Drew Love, isn't that great? Those of you who are Princess Bride fans, Drew Love. You love it. If you haven't seen The Princess Bride, get it, see it ten times. My mother-in-law, whose name is Phyllis, will turn a hundred. A hundred. So in our family, we have both ends of the spectrum covered. From one digit to triple digits, we've got them. There's a great difference between 1 and 100 in terms of the way you walk. But God wants us to walk. You know, many people come to faith in Christ, and when you come to faith in Christ, I've used this here before, but I want to use it by way of introduction. It's as though we have a CD in our heart that's filled up with all of the bad, the evil, the sin that we've done in our life. Anything that is less than perfect is recorded on this CD. And here's Jesus, and he shows up with a brand new, shiny, perfect CD. And when I come to faith in Christ, this happens. I give Jesus my sin, and God gives me the perfection of Jesus. That's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. We are in Christ, and we are viewed by God as perfect in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing. We're adopted into his family. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're we're chosen. We're His incredible blessings bestowed upon us are because of what Christ does in us. That's called positional righteousness. It's called salvation or justification. The problem is then we don't immediately just run off to heaven. God leaves us behind. And our goal is to learn to walk knowing how this new Jesus who lives in us can empower us to walk. Because sometimes we think, well, being a Christian is just being good. No, it is not about being good. You can't be good on your own. And you'll never be like Jesus on your own, but the goal of the Christian life is to let Christ live in you. So when people see you, they see Christ in you. And so when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, we see that Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. I spoke to you a few weeks ago about the wall that existed between the Jew and the Gentile and the barrier that existed between God and man. And God knocked down the wall between the Jew and the Gentile in Christ. And now the Gentile has blessings that he did not have access to before. He has a new way to walk. And so Paul continues, he says, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You see, before Christ, we're over here. That's what's on our CD. And there are eight characteristics of B.C. life, before Christ life, that the Gentiles or the before Christians, the pre-Christians, have to deal with. And in these two verses, Paul unpacks eight different negative things. First, he says, they are futility-minded. You are futility-minded. The idea of futility means lacking 
purpose. It actually means void of anything useful and good. The Hebrew word is the word vanity. If you don't have Christ, you don't have a purpose. Or you might have a purpose that you think is good, but your purpose compared to God's purpose for you isn't going anywhere. You don't have an eternal purpose. You know, at 7117 Ministries, we have a purpose statement, and you ought to have a purpose statement for your life. And our purpose is to depopulate hell and to populate heaven. Your goal and your purpose before God ought to be about making disciples. That's the purpose that Christ leaves behind for us. But if you don't have that as your purpose, then it's all just activity, busy work. Even going to church can become busy work. Praying can become busy work. If it's not lined up with your purpose, you can become futile-minded if you revert back to the presets in your hard drive. You can behave like the Gentiles who were darkened. You know, dark is just not only full of darkness, the, the Greek word here means covered with a tent. I just got back from Israel on Monday, and I'm still not sure what time it is. But uh, in Israel, you know, the Bedouins still live in tents, and they're black. And even though it's bright sun in the desert, you can go into a Bedouin tent, and it is totally dark in there except they have candles burning, fires burning. And they can lift up the sides of the tent, but if you don't know Jesus... Your eternal perspective is darkened. It's covered with a tent. Third, you're excluded. You're excluded from the life of God. You're a non-participant. You're an alien. You know, my granddaughter, Drew, is just learning to walk. My mother-in-law has a hard time walking. But in between 0 and 100 in her life, she's had some amazing things happen. Imagine she was born in 1913. But she was born in England, and she was born into an extremely wealthy family. They had live-in servants and full-time maids and butlers. She didn't cook much. She wasn't allowed in the kitchen as a child. And then she gave her life to Christ and really did become a missionary in Africa. And in Africa, they had people that did the full-time cooking and took care of the children, and she didn't do much there either. And then they decided to move to America. My mother-in-law and her husband decided to move to America so Gwen and her brothers could be raised here. She liked America, but she's never become an American. Now, she's become a citizen, and she has the right to vote. But she still considers Americans as you guys. Now, she doesn't say that. She says, you people. You know. She says, tomato. She spells color with a U. She's not crazy about driving on the right side of the road. And the most interesting thing for her that was difficult from the very first, even though she's lived in America now for 52 years and only 48 years other places, think about that, was cooking. Because in England, when you grow up and you want to cook a meal, the first thing you do is you go to the market. And you go every day and you buy just enough for that day and then you cook the meal and then you go the next day. And then she comes to America. And there sits Publix. And you can feed the entire planet out of one public store. She's never figured it out. She's always felt like a foreigner. That's what excluded means. She never enjoyed the benefits of what being an American is like. Gentiles have problems. People without Christ are futile in their mind. They're darkened in their understanding of God. They're excluded from being citizens, and they're ignorant. They just don't know certain stuff. I remember before I was a Christian, and, and don't ever forget before you were, were a Christian, you were this. You had this awful stuff going on in your life, and you knew it was there. You just didn't want to deal with it. But you're ignorant of how to get out of that trap. 
you know, sometimes there's stuff going on and you're ignorant, but there's no excuse. Do you ever have a speeding ticket and you didn't know you were speeding? I hate when that happens. And you say, you say to the, the, the police officer, well, officer, I didn't know that the speed limit was 25 here. Sorry, ignorance is no excuse. No one will go before the throne of God and say, but I didn't know I had a sin problem. That was simply the way of the mind before Christ. In addition, their hearts become hard. The longer you live apart from God, the harder your heart gets. The word here means having a callus on it. It was weird while we were in Israel to watch the bombings in Boston and feel very safe in Jerusalem and worry about what was going on in the security of America. People ask me often, aren't you afraid to go to Israel? No, I'm really not. Everybody over there is packing heat. You know, we got 17-year-old cute female soldiers with semi-automatic weapons over their shoulder, and ain't nobody messing around with them. We got 40 yards from the Syrian border in a red bus. Thank you, by the way, for sending us, Rick, in a red bus. I, I'm texting back and forth with Rick, and I'm at the Syrian border. And I said, you put me in a red bus. I'm at the Syrian border at the checkpoint. There's big signs, mines, do not enter. And he said, we'll send him a message to only bomb the blue buses. Thank you for that. But you see, I think the problem with the kids that bombed the Boston Marathon is that they were hard heart and calloused. They never embraced what it meant to be an American. They never, they never felt like they belonged the way I feel that I belong. And, and certainly as a Christian, God wants us to belong. We belong to each other. You know, we come to faith as an individual, but we grow in our faith belonging to each other. That's why Paul didn't write this letter to the Ephesian. He wrote it to the Ephesians. We're in this together because without Christ, we're all these things. We're futile, we're dark, we're excluded, we're ignorant, we're hard-hearted, we're callous, and that leads to every sexual sin. In the end, almost all sin comes back to sex. And the idea of sexual immorality is rampant in the Gentile world. We talked about Ephesus in the first introductory message in Ephesus was the temple of Diana, which was dedicated to sexual immorality. You worship the goddess through having sex with a temple prostitute. And Paul's trying to get that element out of the Ephesian church. This is how you were. In fact, if you're doing anything that your mom would not be happy with, you're a Gentile in the eyes of God. And lastly, there's impure greed that takes over. Really, sex outside of marriage, just I, I want it for me and I want it now. I'm, I'm not going to wait and do what God wants and do what's best for the other person. And so the Gentile mind is a lost and insatiable, an, an unsatisfied mind. And frankly, if any of this makes you miserable, then thank God for that because he hasn't given up on you. If you don't know Jesus yet and you're miserable because of this kind of heart, God is working in your life to bring you into a family that will give you a whole new way of looking at things. But in these first verses, you know, Paul digs a hole for us, doesn't he? I, I looked up this passage. I, I like to listen to a few other speakers before I teach just to get an idea where they're going. And, and John Piper is one of the guys I really like. In these verses from Ephesians 4:17 to 32, he has 17 messages. So I'm going to do in 28 minutes what he does in 17 messages. But the point is, there's just so much here. But the, the major outline is Paul's digging a hole, and he's saying, you're in that hole. 
Once upon a time, there was a man who worked at a drugstore in a small town in the Midwest. He worked the four to midnight shift, and when the, when the shift was over, he would head home, and there was a shortcut he could take that went right through the graveyard. And one time, as he was around midnight walking through the graveyard, unbeknownst to him, they had dug a fresh grave. And you can guess what happened. He fell right into the new grave. And he began to claw and scratch in the damp darkness, frantically trying to get out of the grave. And after a few minutes, he just collapsed, heaving with exhaustion, resigned to the fact that he would have to wait until someone came in the morning to get him out. A few moments later, a farmer was out hunting at night with his old dog. And he walked into that graveyard, and he walked down that same path, and he fell into that same grave. And the first man watched as the farmer began to claw and scratch frantically trying to get out of the other side of the grave. And finally, after a few minutes, the farmer collapsed, heaving with exhaustion, thinking he too would be there all night. The first man quietly reached over and put his arm on the shoulder of the farmer. And he said, I'm sorry, but you'll never get out of here. And the next thing he knew, the farmer was gone. And Ephesians 4 is like that. You, if you feel miserable about who you were before Christ, that's a good thing. But now Jesus is going to come and he's going to put his hand on your shoulder and he's going to get you out of the hole. I need that, Jesus. And so the passage continues with the phrase, but God. You know, my favorite phrase in the book of Ephesians is in Christ. We've said it, it occurs 18 times in six chapters. But my next favorite phrase is the phrase, but. Here's where you were, but. You know, in Ephesians 2, Dave Shive says, but you were dead in your trespasses and sin, verse 4, but being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Isn't that good? You were dead. You were in the grave. You were, you were done, and but God. I love that. And then later in Ephesians chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, But now, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus is so important. You are in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus is in you. You who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that word, but. And here in our passage in Ephesians 4, we say, But you, but you did not learn Christ in this way. There's a new way, I've taught you, says Paul. There's a new way to approach your life. There's a new way to walk. You don't have to walk the old way in all those eight awful characteristics. There's a new way. God's will for us is that we walk in our faith and enjoy it. In fact, there's no more exciting way to walk. Paul says this, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in, is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. So you lay aside the old way, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Here's what Paul wants you to do. Get out of the hole. How do you do that? Not on your own. You lay aside the old way to live, you get rid of your presets in your own hard drive, and you take on a whole new hard drive. Because Christ not only comes into your life and causes you to be declared righteous, but he gives you a whole new hard drive mechanism. 
And that's how the Christian life works. For those of you who are sports fans, and I know there are one or two of you, these are hats that were used by my son, Matty. Actually, many people do not know, but there was a time when he played for the Kansas City Royals. It wasn't a bad situation, but, you know, they have never been a good team since George Brett played. And after one year in the Kansas City organization, he got a call from the Atlanta Braves. And they said, Matty, we want you to put off the old hat, and we want you to put on the Braves hat. Because there's a whole new way of doing things in the National League. It's a better game. You're going to get to play more. The heck with a designated hitter. Maybe that helps. How'd the Bucks do in the draft? Did Miami draft another quarterback? No, oh, they don't need one. They got six. So God says, hey, I don't want you to stay in the pit. I don't want you to stay in the hole. I don't want you to try to grind out goodness. I deal with people all the time that I'm trying to love to Christ. And the greatest misconception they have is, well, I have to be good enough in order to really follow Jesus. No, no, no. You can't be good enough to follow Jesus. You have to learn to follow Jesus after you give your life to him and receive him into your heart. And so that's the rest of chapter 4. We're digging out of the hole. Here we go. You ready? Step one, Paul says, therefore, here are seven commands which will help you to walk and enjoy it. Command one, control your tongue. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I'm not crazy about this one, are you? Speak truth. I don't know. How much do we lie? A lot. The average male lies almost 1,200 times a year, studies show. That's about, oh, what's that, four, four times a day? Three, yeah, four, three and a half times a day. The average female only lies 750 times a year. Go ladies. But here's the difference. See, men are good at hiding the truth. Women are good at creatively telling the truth so you're not sure what's going on. They sugarcoat the truth. You know, what's, what's the biggest lie men tell? Nothing's wrong. I'm fine. What's the biggest lie women tell? I have a headache. I'm just kidding. <laughs> ah, we need to tell the truth. Now, we need to speak the truth in love. That's what we're supposed to do. We don't just beat everybody over the head with the truth. We've tried to equip our children to not beat each other over the head with the truth. If your sibling is doing something that you don't approve of, there's a way to approach that other than with a club. If your spouse is doing something that you don't approve of, there's a good way to approach that. My wife always will, will approach it soft. You know, she, she will say something like, Honey, do you think we should pray about this? Which means you rank pagan. This is a stupid idea. You know, am I right? And by, by the way, ladies, if you want to help us with lying, never ask us, do I look fat in this? Never ask us that, because we're going to use up one of our four lies for the day on that question. <laughs> Speak the truth in love. Second, control your temper. Be angry. Got that part down. Yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. See, in all these commands, 
we get the reason. We get a positive command, we get a negative command, and, we, and we're told why. God is really in these seven steps to walking, being a parent. Your goal as a parent is whenever you give your child a negative, don't do this, but here, do this. And then they'll say, why? And God will say, here's why. And usually we say, because I said so. God says, here's why. Be angry. That's the positive. Now, you can't be angry with people. You can be angry with sin. Jesus was angry with sin. It's very hard for me. The word angry has to do with the slow burn, and the sin has to do with the explosion that comes at the end of the slow burn. If you're carrying around anger, you've got to get rid of it. And the way you do it is don't let the sun go down on that anger. If you don't practice this in your home, your home will be a place where there are explosions that go on. I'm angry at a lot of stuff. I'm angry at the government. I'm angry at my small group. I'm angry at my job. I'm angry at my coach. I'm angry at my teacher. I'm angry at my wife. You know what really makes me mad about my wife? She's always right. That makes me angry. And you know what makes me even angrier? She tells me that she's right. <laughs> Ladies, we know you're right. We just don't want to be reminded that you're right. It's a given. But you see, every day before we go to bed, we try to make it a principle. We were shared with this early on. Before you go to bed, make sure it's right. Because then if it's not right, it stews overnight, and then you've got a greater problem in the morning. That's why it's good to pray together before you go to bed. You can't be fighting with somebody you're angry with most of the time. It's possible. I've done it. But do not give the devil an opportunity. The devil doesn't want your home to succeed. The devil doesn't want your marriage to be used by God. So he's going to attack it, and he's going to take advantage of it, and he's going to use situations where you're tired or things are not quite right, or a word spoken or an action done, maybe innocently, but somebody takes it wrong and they get their feelings hurt. If you live with that, it will explode later. And men, you can't get away with, I'm not going to deal with that. Third, this is too convicting, we'll move on. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. In their world, in Ephesians, everybody stole. The slaves were expected to steal because they didn't get any, any money for food. The merchants had unbalanced scales. They were illegal. They would steal from the clients. The Romans stole from the conquered people. The conquered people stole from the soldiers. The soldiers stole from everybody. It was a way of life to steal. Paul says we can't do that. So, here's why we work. So that you earn a living, right? Why do we, why do we not steal and work hard? To have money, right? No. So that you will have something to share with the one who has need. We're never in the Bible told to work to, have, to earn a living. Did you know that? We work for two reasons. We work to have a platform to share our faith, and we work to have something to share with less fortunate. Fourth, quit slandering. This is my toughest one in the list. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. I've memorized this verse. I've meditated on this verse. I hate this verse. This is where I struggle. You know, I don't, I don't steal much. I don't lie much. Let me ask you a question. How many, of you, how many of you have ever cheated on a test? At least you're honest about it, right? That's, that's the world we live in. But how many of you have said bad things about another person? 
I, I didn't need to see those hands. I, that, was, that, was not, that was not a response question. That was just a rhetorical question. I could have you raise them and we'll look around. You know, it reminds me of the three pastors. They met for fellowship on a Monday at lunch, and the first pastor said, I need you two men to, pay for me, to pray for me. I'm really having a problem. After we have communion on Sunday, I take what's left of the communion wine and I drink the whole bottle. Second pastor said, wow, I'm glad you shared that. I'm really having a similar issue. After, after we have the offering, I get back alone in the church office and I take all the cash and I stick it in my pocket and I steal it. Third pastor said, wow, I'm, I'm thankful you guys are so open and honest. Uh, they said, what's your issue? He said, well, I have a real problem with gossip and I just cannot wait to get out of here. <laughs> and you can decide which is Brian Lake, which is Brian Stiverson, which is Dave Shy. But you see, if, if you're complaining about people, that is not edifying. That's not the way God wants us to walk. Fifth, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When Christ comes to live in you, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he, he stays there forever. He doesn't leave. It's the Spirit of God who indwells us. But if I, if I do all these other six or seven things wrong, he gets grieved. The same way as a parent, you grieve if your child does something that brings shame or dishonor to your family. And when we do something that brings shame or dishonor to the family of God, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Sixth, quit yapping. It's my favorite one. This is my own word. That is not a Greek word. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That sounds like some families I know. I grew up in one like that. We did not let our children be mean to each other, period. Oh, you could playfully give them a hard time, but you could not hurt them, either with your fists or with your words. Home is to be a safe place. Church is to be a safe place. And I'll be honest with you. One of the main reasons I have never been a pastor is this. I can't handle it. I don't like the yapping. You know, if you're one of those that sits there and makes notes and, and, and just bites and bites like a little chihuahua. I'd like to drop kick chihuahuas, you know. And if you have one, now you can be upset at me. We get anonymous emails from time to time. Boy, that drives me nuts. If you don't have the courage in Christ to send a note or come see me or make a phone call or put your name on an email, then you're failing. And you're helping me to fail by not helping me get better. And that's what goes on in a lot of churches. Be yapping. Quit it. Walk in a better way. And then lastly, be Christ-like. The last verse of chapter 4 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has what? Also forgiven you. No matter what someone has done to you in this room, no matter what someone has done to you in your family, no matter what someone has done to you in your school, no matter what someone has done to you in your life, you have done something worse and God has forgiven you. What do you want to be known for? What does God want you to be known for? How much money you give? How much volunteer hours you get in, your grade point average, how much money you make, what car you drive. No, I think God wants us to be known 
as, as Christ-like. Be kind to one another. One of my friends passed away this week, Jim Lee. Jim Lee was a kind man. At the funeral, there were testimonies given about his kindness. I never heard him hear, I never heard him do or say a bad thing about another person. Oh, I wish that were me. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, God wants you to walk, and he wants you to enjoy it. There's a new way to walk. And as we put the video on, I'd like you to close in prayer for me, and uh, then we're going to run a, a last video in a second. But remember, we're not to walk the old way. We're not down in the grave. We have a new way to walk. And, and we have the most exciting way to walk because we know Jesus and He is inside us and He is walking in us and He is walking through us and He gives us the power to walk. Oh, don't get caught in the trap that says, oh, I fell down, I guess I'm not called to walk. You are called to walk. You are called to enjoy it. You are called to make an impact on your world for Jesus. Watch this video, would you?